This podcast contains content that may be disturbing to some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What was your scariest paranormal experience? I think my two top ranking scary experiences are what I call the bathroom monster and the devil's tree in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Why is it always the bathroom? Why do you- It is always the bathroom, right? <laughs> It's like, you know what? I, and I ask this to other ghost hunters all the time and everyone's like, it's the pipes, it's the water. Yep. So I was in the bathtub and, you know, I was like scrolling on my phone. I don't know what I was doing. I was doing burned out mom things, you know, like <laughs> dissociating from the world. Yep. Yeah. And then I got a little tingle that I wasn't alone. But then I was looking down at my phone and from the corner of my eye, I saw a shape and I oh. whipped my head around because... My number one fear in life is that another living human, not a ghost, a human will be in my face, right? And what's more vulnerable than being in the bathtub? The easiest way to describe it is like an alien from the X-Files, but flesh-colored. That's terrifying. It was terrifying. It was tall. We're talking at least like six, six, maybe seven foot, like very tall because it was kind of like hunched over and peeking around the edge of the room where my shower and toilet are. But it was just like its head and its torsos, except one hand was like wrapped around the frame onto the mirror. And it had these these long fingers with these big knuckles. Gosh. I actually texted the the psychic who originally cleared my house um, from my my first haunting. And I was like, please tell me I didn't see what I just think I saw. Oh, wow. And she just wrote back and was said, uh, it came up the drains. It's a <gasps> shapeshifter. And I was like, okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I did. I went overboard on protection that day. <laughs> I might not be able to take a bath again. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Death Becomes Us podcast. We have a really cool guest that we're going to be interviewing today. I'm super excited. I follow her on Instagram and her stuff is fascinating. Can't wait to talk to her. Me too. Me too. I am thrilled. Yeah. I want to be her when I grow up. (laughs) I was reading her bio and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is going to be a great conversation and I am thrilled. (laughs) Me too. Our guest today is a woman with many layers and talents. For the past two decades, she has worked as a stylist for advertising, television, and film. She also founded and designed three different international fashion labels and starred as herself in Bravo's Southern Charm Savannah. She has lived in Europe, Dubai, Los Angeles, Savannah, and now Cambridge, Massachusetts, where she is currently back in school as a second-year master's degree student at Harvard, studying anthropology, archaeology, and ancient religious methods of spiritual transcendence and their possible integration into modern healing. Welcome, Ashley Borders. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me on your show. I'm uh, really excited to chat with you guys today and to dive into some interesting stuff. 
I feel like you are the woman from The Mummy. I can't remember her name right now. Oh, yeah. I was thinking yeah. that too. Right. I was too. But also combined with Harrison Ford, but then we need oh, like wow. a witchy third to like make you this like trifecta of awesome. <laughs> Number one, it's awesome that you've gone back to school to get your master's degree. I went back to school later in life as well. And I am so fascinated with archaeology. I love a good adventure. I love to find stuff like what made you decide to go back into that? I I recently met another PhD um, candidate here at Harvard and we were talking and she's like, yeah, my whole life, I just wanted to be an archaeologist or a fashion designer. And I was like, I thought this was an anomaly, but yes, not. Perhaps it's some sort of neural architecture that's kind of developed the same mind as a um, an aesthetic creator that also is always searching for mystery, searching for the unknown, searching for something that hasn't been seen yet. And the same idea is creating, right? So you're creating something that has never been seen yet um, through your own will, but then it's also just a beautiful experience to discover something that hasn't been seen before by anyone for, you know, possibly thousands of years. I'd always wanted to be an archeologist or a fashion designer. So I'm in this interesting phase of really diving into the sort of the Buddhist notion of non-self and sending the self in sort of this whole like universal consciousness. So the more that I kind of hold on to who this meat suit is, right? The more I hold on to Ashley of the past, the more it kind of impedes me from this sort of spiritual progress that I'm trying to make, wherein I sort of am trying to peel off all the layers of Ashley because Ashley doesn't necessarily really exist. It's just a combination of many experiences which are already gone. So all that matters is the present, which is just a whole nother person. So Right. Staying in the present moment is something that a lot of people really struggle with. The more life passes through and the more times we have experiences that cause so much pain and there's nothing to do about them, right? Uh, Or there's so much anxiety about looking towards the future. So I wanted to find sort of a way out of this like paradox of nightmare, I guess. And so being in the present is one of the most beautiful gifts that we can access as humans and we're all able to do it. And I think that meditation is the easiest way that I've found to kind of immediately jump into that moment of just being here and realizing, you know, time is actually a human construct as well. Time doesn't exist. It's not real. So all that's actually real is me in this moment, my sensory perceptions that are um, acknowledging certain different phenomena that are accessing my brain. And then I think there's the act and an extra step to that, which a lot of scientists don't necessarily, they're coming around to it, but the idea of the consciousness, right? So why mm-hmm. is my experience different than yours or yours or someone else's, but even that staying in the present, it's a, just a beautiful experience of the way I think that we're supposed to live as humans. Um, I say all the time that Jesus came down here just to teach us how to use our meat suit, right? Emanations <laughs> of a light source that are being housed in these earth bodies. The most beautiful way to experience it is kind of living this Jesus life, right? We meditate, expressing love, a loving kindness and compassion. And spending time in those moments is where I've really kind of developed the ability to, um, experience these other dimensional entities and spirits that kind of are like, Oh, here you're here. Oh, wow. Hello. You know, 
hey, and so you're kind of overwhelmed by like all these other things that never had access to kind of enter into your conscious space. I call it the art of contentment, just being happy where you're at at the moment. And so many people have a hard time with that, including myself. Me too. I have a really hard, really, really, really hard time with it. It takes a lot of effort. I know myself and a lot of other people always feel like they're running out of time, like they're fighting against time. And maybe the solution there is to just take a step back because we just made that up. <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear about your meditation practices and your experiences with these interdimensional beings. Yes, most definitely. I guess meditation is one of those things that also can cause so much anxiety because people are like, oh, I can't do it. I don't have time. Oh, I forgot to do it today. And again, that's just putting a construct around something that can't really put in a box. I think people make meditation harder than it needs to be. Yes, it is so simple. I tell everyone that like I carry around my temple everywhere I go. Right. right. So I don't have to go to church. I don't have to go anywhere. I can literally stop walking and just stop and kind of shut off all of the extra noises in my mind, my monkey mind or whatnot. And there's different, different forms of meditation. But I started doing it because I went through a really hard time where I was like really sad and depressed. And how do you get out of that sometimes? You know, when right. you feel like the world has just like accumulated this mess of heaviness. And that's a really hard place to live. And so I had decided that yeah. I pretty much don't want to live anymore. I want to figure out how to get through this. And the truth is the only way is through. Yeah. There's no getting out of it. There's no going around it. It's really a process of having to go through these different states, I think, for our brains and our emotional correspondence as a human to sort of develop into what the universe has set for us, you know, because I do believe the universe is like, there's something for you, 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 y'all have definitely things you need to do. But the noise of the outside world tells us, oh, we should do this, we should do this. And we get pulled from our original plan, or like our mission, let's say we sign up for missions or something before we come into Earth, right, or something right. like that, right. distracted from it. But meditation for me was a way to kind of stop and reconstruct and be like, who is this? I don't know. I feel like you're like blending my past and my present in like a beautiful way, not in like not in a negative way. But it's like uh, Melissa and I both grew up in the Mormon faith. So we are used to hearing your body is your temple, but in a very different context. Very than different context yeah. yeah, than the way that you just used it, because um, for us, it would have been very shameful. It was like your body is your temple. Don't you dare do X, Y, Z. But the way that you just said it actually is the way that that sentiment probably should be portrayed in that literally wherever you go is a holy place. And it's not because of you're wearing the right clothes or you're yada, 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 but it's because it's it's you. It's your connection to the divine, whatever you want to call it, the universe. I, I am very interested in learning. How did you find yourself on this path? Have you always been more spiritual? I am assuming that you both have felt the same. Something since I was a young child, I've always just been able to feel things. And I know that sounds crazy when you hear it all the time. Um, and then so the, the, like the world, the church, whatever it tells you, yeah, don't say that. That's a sin or don't yes. do that. Yeah. That's evil. And you go, oh, okay, but you can't help it. It's still something that happens. It's part of who you are and what, yeah, your experience is, it's, you can't ignore it. You can't ignore it. And I believe that everyone has access to it as well. It's just some people 
haven't learned to kind of block out all the noise to sort of experience it more. But I finally got to the point where I was like, all right, you know what? Cool. We're going to get into this because it would just, it kept happening so much just an in, in intuition, those extrasensory feelings you get from places, from people. I always had a thing where this, sometimes I would not allow people to, I didn't want to get near people's energy orbs because I could literally see, I could see colors around them in light. And mm-hmm. you know, am I crazy? Am I losing my mind? Am I, did I drink too much coffee? You know, go through all the things. And when I just decided to acknowledge it, embrace it and sort of uh, deep dive into it, because now I'm at Harvard Divinity School, really chasing this. Yeah, it is. It is so cool. Uh, And you mentioned seeing like orbs around people is, is in your opinion, is that the same thing as an aura? Is that something separate? Is that something you still experience? Oh, yeah. Once you put on the glasses of this sort of knowledge, you don't see the world the same ever again. Right. Kind of like surgically not implanted these new lenses. Right. Yeah. I see them often. But if my energy, it's all about my energy as well. Like when my energy is down and when I'm feeling not in a place of the, the present gratitude, when I'm not in that space, I don't I'm not able to access it. But when I step into that space of just gratitude and loving kindness and just that that heart opening, that sort of like oh, just beautiful, compassionate space, because we all are electromagnetic beings, right? Okay, let's just get to astrophysics. Like your electricity, we are all just vibrational yep. um, waves that are holding different particles together. Yes. So I should be able to pass my hand through my other hand, but I can't. Uh-huh. Because my mind somehow blocks it out. But in quantum physics, um, the vibrational particles that even emit off of our bodies through our thought waves, through our emotions, are actual forms. They're not invisible. So like this space in between here, this ether, I call it the, the, the quantum fog. Like we think it's clear. It is so busy and full of activity. But just it's not something that that perceptual sensory um acknowledgement that I was talking about trying to like clear away from meditation we can't notice it but you start to be able to see those things a lot more and then everything becomes a lot more apparent in that space of seeing entities of hearing that sort of telepathic sort of communication I don't it's hard to explain and I know it sounds crazy but Carly and I were talking about this yesterday everybody has these abilities Mm -hmm. and everybody can be a medium. It's just that we all get the information differently. Mm -hmm. So for you explaining how you get that information is very interesting to me. I I haven't had it. it, That's something that I've tried to learn because, you know, there's, there is lots of how, how to see an aura and things like that, but it it, Mm -hmm. things like that don't necessarily come naturally to me. And so we, we were talking about it, about how we love that each one of us is able to receive information in such different ways. And by piecing those bits together, it gives you a clearer picture of what's actually happening because no one of us is seeing the complete picture you're having the same experience. You're receiving the same information. It's just that you are receiving it in different ways. Did you have a moment in your life that really like opened your eyes and be like, this is, this is beyond my human understanding? Oh, I don't know if there was an exact, besides um, the the point of, of like dark sadness that I experienced where I, I just completely removed myself from 
the social world for um, 30 days was like, I just what locked I didn't see anybody. I didn't go anywhere. I had groceries delivered. Like I literally stayed in my apartment and went through. Um, I always read about this in books of people who go into these sort of Jesus in the desert, you know, Buddha up in the mountain sort of experiences. And so I said, all right, well, I'm going to do my best at just sort of disappearing for a moment. And in that time, and I don't know if it's because I was really hungry or had no sugar or what it was, but um, it could be a million different things. You know, uh, during a meditation, I had a visitor and uh, I want to hear about your visitor. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really curious about that. Yeah. It wasn't the first time that this, these is three entities. is isn't the first time that they visited me, but the time they visited me before was about, I don't know, eight years ago, maybe. Or, and they appeared, it sounds crazy, but I was- Yes, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, when you're lightly sleeping, lightly awake, and I saw them and there were like these three purple- figures my eyes were closed but they're like these three lights just like came into my vision with my eyes closed and they were just these luminescent purpley color they said all right it's time to come home and I went oh no and I, I literally I jumped out of bed and I said no and I realized like oh my gosh am, am, I, am I dying like is there right a, yeah what? Where's yeah. home? <laughs> home? And I, I definitely made a shift of my life in that moment. And so I did slowly get on a different path, but not as quickly as I guess I was supposed to, because I went through a couple more very traumatic experiences after that. These are the same entities that kind of showed up in my meditation and um, asked me if they could appear. Uh, and I said no, because I was terrified, to be honest. When it actually shows up, it's really scary. Mm -hmm. I've experienced that as well. Yeah. I was afraid to open my eyes because I was afraid they felt so real. I felt like they were in the room with me. I was sitting in my bed meditating and uh, my eyes were closed, but I was very awake and very aware of this meditative state, which is weird because you're not really aware, but you are. I was literally afraid to open my eyes. I was afraid I was going to open my eyes and they were going to be standing there. That's how close I could feel them in the room. So who do you think these entities are? I have no idea. Like for me, I'd be like, oh, is this a spirit? Is this an alien? Like, whoa. <laughs> how do you know? How do you know? You? If they're interdimensional beings, I mean, it's all kind of, they're all kind of the same thing, right? Yeah, I guess I'm not really worried about what they are because they have such yeah. Yeah, a peaceful calmness about it. And then just made me feel okay. It was like the first, when they kind of showed, it was the first time I felt like, oh, okay. All right, well, I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to push forward. And that's when I decided to change my whole studies into this more metaphysical sort of esoteric um, secret mystery school of religion sort of um, path. Which I think is awesome, by the way. I'm so proud of you for, for doing that. Oh, thanks. It's a very strange world, but it makes so much more sense, actually, when you get down into, especially some of the hermetic teachings about how we can ascend our own bodies. And then when you add into the whole, the new findings of quantum physics as well, mm -hmm. you're like, these guys knew all of this thousands of years before right. science was just slowly starting to like fill in the blanks of, okay, yeah, this is possible. You know, the gurus are like, we told you guys, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the study of metaphysics and quantum physics and quantum mechanics, it, it's like you start researching all of that and you're like, oh, this makes way more sense than anything I ever learned in school. <laughs> and it's proving the spiritual. Right. And how it can exist. Yeah. I'm going to 
pull back into your archaeology for a minute here because I, I've been fascinated for a long time about the way that different cultures from across the world, different ancient cultures have such very similar origin stories. Because at that time, yes, you could travel long distances and these stories could pass. And I'm sure that that happened. But kind of similar to the same way that Egypt had pyramids and then in other areas of the world, like across oceans where we don't have that technology, pyramids are popping up. But you can look at different moments in time and see the same sort of mythology repeating itself. And as someone who is, you're, you're studying archaeology, you're very familiar with all of that, but you're also plugged into the spiritual aspect and the quantum physics. Like, what do you make of that, of us all, like from our earliest incarnation, humans have been trying to explain how and why, right? But like, you seem to have like a little bit of all of the worlds that like, maybe you can't give us a complete picture, but it's just it's interesting that you study so many different aspects that I think go together and not a lot of other people see the connections. It's definitely a new path of study that I do get my fair share of raised eyebrows, but there are also those who really support the idea of uh, transcendence and transformation of humans and the sort of return to a primordial form of sorts. I mean, a lot of it is not even understandable with the construct of a human mind, then we try to look at it with a human mind. And that's why I think it's fascinating is we're trying to explain and trying to categorize in box something that is much bigger than the construct of my neural architecture. Like how can my human architecture of my brain tell me something that it has never thought about, never experienced never had a relational understanding, you know, because most of our brain works on a, um, a reward feedback system that has been developed over millions of years. I was speaking to a very famous um, astrophysicist uh, at a Harvard event last week, and he uh, was speaking that the brain has developed over time through evolutionary biology to block our perception of reality so that we can actually function in life. Yep. So that's perhaps why during um, certain plant medicine rituals or taking certain um, ethnobotanies, I, I don't like the word hallucinogens, but because mm -hmm. that is the reality that you experience, you know? Yeah. <laughs> parts of your brain, if you watch it on a PET scan or through any sort of these transcranial stimulation modules, you can watch the brain recreate neural architecture during these experiences, right? And use parts of the brain that are not used any other time. So why is that only exasperated or only sort of onset by a nature tradition that comes from Gaia Earth. Right. You know, uh, some of the most famous anthropologists that um, are really heavily focused, especially in studies of um, higher academics, have talked about this sort of a myth of the eternal return, sort of, of the sacred and the profane, returning back to always searching. Humanity is always trying to find where we came from. You know, what is the origins of life? You know, um, what's your purpose here? Yeah. yeah. What's the purpose? You know, most of the world is kind of based upon these more animistic, all encompassing gods, you know, that they, they ruled the earth and they landed and they became mountains, you know. So like um, 
that the land is the spiritual ancestors, that it all exists everywhere. Rocks are spirits and that there's not, I love this fact that in studying African, um, African language, there's no word for religion in the whole continent, over 2000 languages. Really? Because everything is spirit. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. It is. I've never heard that. Yeah, that's amazing. Everything is spirit. And I think that's a lot of these ancient cultures are the same way. If you look at the Aztecs and the Mayans, same thing with them is that everything to them was spirit, right? So so everything had a spiritual significance in its formation. And so the respect for land and matter and, and that harmony of balance was much more in line in our ancient ancestors than we have now. We're so focused on needing and wanting right and so we're not very focused on creating this harmonious balance which is very obvious in some of these ancient structures like the pyramids in both the sites in egypt and uh, different sites throughout latin america and i have no idea how they had all that technology at the same time and i know oh maybe they connected with their interdimensional beings and guided them through how to how to orchestrate all of these, all of these things, all these things. Did they know something that we didn't back then? Did they, were they able to connect uh, into the spiritual realm closer than we did? Because, you know, nowadays we're trying to make sense of everything. Like you said, in this box Mm -hmm. and you can't, it doesn't work. And they probably knew something that we didn't. They were probably a little bit more connected with the spiritual realm than we are now. Okay, so I love reading weird historical texts from the popular religions. And I'm not even going to say them because I get in so much trouble, but I'm like, just look at yourself. Like, you can just look at it on your own and find right. it. Right. Um, these crazy looking beings that come from the skies. They're not the angelic creatures that we have painted on the walls in the 16th <laughs> They're like 12 wheels moving in different directions with 14 eyeballs. Eyeballs everywhere. Yeah. Eight uh, lion's legs and like the craziest. And we're like, is, are y'all reading this the same as me? Because this is a a wild, crazy interdimensional being or being, or it's from another world or realm or something, but we call them angels or we call them demons or we call them something, right? Right. To whatever tradition one follows. But I get into myself trouble with this, but people are like, oh, this is God's word. This is it. This is how it is. And I'm like, cool. We'll also read Ezekiel or also, right. read, you know, Elohim or like the Nephilim. And like, what about um, the giant beings? Like, mm-hmm. talk about well, isn't it crazy how petroglyphs all over the world are so similar, but how did they, how did they know? How did they have the same creatures? Yeah. Everything was so much more focused on the divine and the sacred, I think, in ancient times as well. Like in Egypt, the Pharaoh was the embodied God. You know, right. They were one and the same. There was no difference. And they actually believed at these different festivals throughout the year that the gods actually came and embodied these statues. Mm-hmm. The practice of alchemy has sort of come towards us. Like the, the men who created these stone structures started believing, well, actually, wait a second, maybe there is something to these mixes of metals and stuff that gives the ability for gods to transcend and sort of become imminent with material form. And, and why not, though, if I'm just a bunch of floating particles and if this suit I'm wearing is housing a spiritual being, which I believe that our meat suits house all of us as spiritual beings, and that's an ancient thought back 
past the the, the Kabbalah. Like it's we're all it's, energy. Yeah. We're all energy that's that's emanated out of a divine source. And that's what we can all connect to it as well. And perhaps they were much more aware of this sort of imminence uh, and transcendence and able to connect to beings that said, hey, this is a good idea. I have no idea though. But also it's crazy that they're all in the same ley lines as well. If you like to set out a map. Oh, yes. Yeah. I love yes. learning about ley lines. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. Fascinating, right? Like, yeah. There are higher energy sort of resonances from Earth in those points, but enough to create great civilizations. I don't know. But then that also kind of comes back to the point of we should be much more careful about the energetic resonance that we surround ourselves with if these are the things that actually created a higher species of people, which is what some people believe. And do you think that because of all the noise and background that we have nowadays that we just didn't, we're not able to tap into it like they were, they didn't have TV, they didn't have the internet when they did their spiritual practices, whatever they might be, maybe they were just able to tap into it a little bit more and, and focus on it better. And, and, and they didn't all, they didn't have all these beliefs that we have now where, you know, we have to think this way and we have to act this way and we have to do this thing. You know, we, we think of ourselves as a more civilized form of humanity, but I don't think we are. I, I definitely don't think we are. I think we can thank Constantine for putting together a bunch of books. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, that told everyone this is the way it is. Yeah. Um, without any sort of actual relational evidence to the actual teachings or because um, all the ancient creation stories are the same. Again, we're saying this kind of thing, but it's true. Look into it on your own. That's why I keep telling people, it's like, don't blame me as a messenger. Like, right. yeah. it's the same story throughout Zoroastrianism, even the Bhagavad Gita, um, Isis and Osiris. Like, go through the stories. Yeah, and- I homeschool my kids and we have, it's actually a Christian, I think it's a Christian-based curriculum. It's called the story of the world. And in the beginning parts, they do talk about all these different myths and legends and they don't connect it in that way. It it was impossible. I was still Mormon at this time, but it was impossible for me to not read this and be like, wait a second, this is the same story repeated over and over with the different cast and crew and like maybe slightly differing events, but there's almost always a main godhead, a sacrifice of the sun, a rebirth, a, a coming back to save the rest of us, right? It, it really is a, a very repeating concept. Ashley, what have you learned from the interdimensional beings that you witnessed or that you saw? At first, it, nothing. It was just learning that I wasn't alone. And I was reading the Buddha teaches about this as well, that there's a difference between loneliness and aloneness and that loneliness is the place where we are that uh, desires other companionships and desires what the world tells us we're supposed to have right a husband and all the things and um, surrounded by people and so we are always suffering because of that expectation but aloneness is when you can be alone but then also realize that I am the same as everything else it's just a difference and vibrational forces, really. Talk about experiencing things differently because of the double slit theory. Are y'all familiar with this quantum physics experiment? Could you, for the people who are not familiar with that, could you give a very brief, like a a dummy's guide to the double slit theory, please? Oh, wow. Dummy's guide to quantum physics. Uh, Okay, (laughs) go. 
So the double slit theory is, so you have particles in a position behind a wall that you cannot see, and there's a separated device between the two compartments of the particles that are behind this wall. And let's say I'm on the other side of the wall and I cannot see these particles. The particles that are that come from the light source through this hole into the different areas, they're split by this wall. It's hard to explain without a, like a visual. Um, right. <laughs> that are, are, was a hard challenge. <laughs> are at different points by different beings. Okay, so the, the point is about all of it is that superpositioning of these particles into where they their, their resting places in your observation depends on the observer. So mm-hmm. by my observation is when I lock that particle in place. So before I actually make contact with this particle, it could be somewhere else. And they can also jump different places without right. any sort of explanation. So... It shows the point is that everyone's reality is actually different, different. It's completely perceptive on their own superpositioning of these particles through your own observation. So when they say, like, does a tree fall in the woods? Does it make a noise? No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. that was the best answer. No, <laughs> there is no noise to be made if there is no vibrational connection with something else and maybe the tree doesn't even fall until you superposition your right. visual net, you know, which is even a crazier thought. But that means that every single thing we think, every single thing we do actually imprints an energetic stamp on the time and place in this Taurus of time, right? So that's where I think these beings sometimes exist. I love that. Melissa and I were literally just talking. One of my favorite theories is that in the work that I do, I often experience a certain type of spirit that is more drawn to me because whatever energetic output I give off, it's like they can see it and they're like, you're going to understand. But I get a lot of women who have been wronged. But part one of my theories is that some spirits exist only in that sliver of time of pain. And they can't really tell you anything before and they can't really tell you anything after. So when you're trying to talk to them and they're just like, they're repeating this loop, it's different than a residual haunting. They're just, they're repeating this loop of this moment of pain. Like it's a sliver of their soul and not their entire soul and not their entire existence it's just it's it's just a little a little piece of it the energy imprint that was left behind on with that event yeah Mm -hmm. are you able to help them release from that sort of cycle sometimes yeah i did have an experience recently where i did get some confirmation that they were moving on like still willing to speak but moving on but yeah it's like it's like they just need help reconnecting to the rest of them. And it's not even really necessarily anything other than just being willing to sit and listen to what they have to say. Speaking of hauntings, you grew up and lived in one of the most haunted cities in the entire world. I was just going to ask about that, Carly. I want to hear more about Savannah. Did you have any experiences or anything like that? Were you... I, I want to go on a limb and say that you were one of those kids who was probably a little more tapped in and had some experiences, but like, what, what was that like for you growing up in Savannah? I'm covered, covered. My whole body is standing on end and chill bumps, which is always, I've been told um, when something's, you know, spirits are kind mm-hmm. of, 
when it's important. Yeah. Important. Um, so well, you're able to tap into that and figure out what that means. Cause some people don't understand. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things they, that they've told me is that it's a sort of um, acknowledgement of truth of things to sort of pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it resonates. Whatever you're saying is now resonating so much with my vibrational frequency that my body's like, listen. So yes, my mother is very in tune with the other side more so than me perhaps. And my grandfather is a full-blood Cherokee Indian. And so I don't know if that's one of the, sometimes I think that some of the stuff is genetically imprinted as well. Mm-hmm. Our neural architecture is, a lot of it is a genetic predisposition, right? And through epigenetics as well, it does form a lot more of who we are than we are. We're becoming more aware of it, but uh, our brains are formed genetically. Uh, and so I don't know if that's part of it, but she would talk about these entities all the time. And I was just like, Oh God, mom's crazy again. You know, every once in a while I would walk into a room or we lived in many old, old homes and you just feel this, like your whole body is like, you almost like you don't know what to do or to move or, or to say anything because there's nothing you can see, but I would just feel my whole body like in a vacuum almost. And most of the time I would just leave because it, it didn't, it felt uncomfortable. And so some, the voice in my head was like, okay, get out. Like, don't be here because I didn't have the tools to sort of reckon with whatever these things were at the time. Right. One important lesson that I was given by who I call Sophia Gaia. I'm not sure what it entity is, but she's a thin female and very strong and she comes through the earth. And we had a very close encounter, which is just more wild than anything has ever happened to me. When I was in California at a place called Esalen, which is a center for human potential movement. And again, this, this changed my whole life and my studies. She invited me to come have a ceremony with her in this garden. I thought it was absolutely insane. I was doing a yoga class and I was like, I have lost my bloody mind. <laughs> I said, no, no, no. I'm not going every day. The second night I went, right. And she had shown me in my mind, a vision of this space to meet her. And I was like, I'm going to go. And if I see this place, then I'll know it's real. And everything just kept unfolding to be more real, more real, more real. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> what is this? You know, like like a fairy tale book and you open another door and it's all lining up and matching up. And I was like, okay, I have to keep going now. Cause what, yeah. what is this? Yeah. And so she kind of, um, I, it just was just an appearance to kind of show me she was there. It was like this white, like almost like I could see a layer of the ether, like kind of appear and then disappear. And I just, I literally got on my knees. I was like, oh, like almost, I mean, I think I started crying a little bit. I was like, oh my gosh. Oh, it's like such an incredible feeling to experience these things. And she told me that she brought me there and we sat and um, I still send her offerings to this day because they like, she likes things. Like I was eating mm-hmm. these meats and I kept t- feeling her being like, share with me. And obviously <laughs> you know, it's like, they can't eat them or take them. But the thing was, is that I only had like six in my pocket and I hiked down to the forest. And so I'm giving her something that I love. It was for me to learn expressing gratitude, right? right. So right. I was sharing because out of pure gratitude, I knew she wasn't going to eat it and I was hungry, but it's just that like giving without needing without expectation. expectation. And that's what we hear about in all these ancient books, right? It's like, that's right. the you give offerings to the that's God. Sacrifice. You give something that you love. Yeah. Show you your appreciation. You love without expecting anything in return. Yeah. yeah. It, and so it's little lessons like that. And then one of the main lessons that she taught me, as well as the fact that her and Jesus and everybody is all the same, 
they're all the same team, right? Right. I love that. Because I was like, I don't want to be here if this is dark or bad, you know? And she's like, and I had all these like confirmations, you know, um, inside of me as well, that they're all the same team. And she kind of came to me as Gaia, who, by the way, if you look in ancient religion, Sophia Gaia was, she was God's wife Mm -hmm. before we decided to, um, before we decided she didn't exist. (laughs) He was God's wife. Like they were equal. And if you look at any other religion, there's always a consort between like, even the Buddha has its female Mm -hmm. consort. Right. So, um, she told me that I needed tools. So the word tools kept coming over through my mind over and over tools that I had to, I had to access these spiritual tools. What she kind of relayed to me is, is like a, being a spiritual, like a warrior. I needed to learn more so that I could be prepared to do whatever I'm supposed to do. So now the more that I'm getting into this and a new, new tool unlocks, I'm like, ding, ding, that's it. There it is. <laughs> I didn't have the understanding or the knowledge to be able to face these right. things to appear to me out of fear, just not the right understanding, right? Step out of my body and say, okay, what is this thing? How do I affect it? I do believe in my experience that I can alter their energies now by changing my resonance, mm-hmm. which is so extremely difficult though, because the minute that you experience fear in the space, this is my experience. The minute I, I start fearing my time, when these entities appear that are on the, on the lower spectrum, I don't believe in, in, in lower frequency. Yeah. So like, let's say the lower frequency, which is suffering and fear and pain and stuff. Whenever being comes in in that space, which we usually call demonic or satanic or scary or whatever. If I have a fearful output of energy, I feel it grow. Right. Yes. I'm not scared of you. Like, what are you going to do? Let's chop. You know what? Let's actually, let's talk about it. Like yeah. what's wrong come on, lift yourself up, buddy. Like let's, let's rotate because everything can be polars, right? The world is in constant motion, even the non-sentient world. So let's change this. If I can resonate myself in a higher way and like emit just love and compassion, it changes. I can feel it change. And I haven't, you know, obviously dealt with anything super strong. It just, I wasn't able to really understand what I was dealing with as a kid. Um, and as most of us aren't, cause we're not taught to. Yeah, well, and a lot of kids are also told that it's just your imagination, you're you're tired, you're it's because of that movie that you saw or, you know, things like that. So we're taught actively taught to not trust the things that we're receiving. And we're taught to think inside this little box. Well, the box is way bigger than any of us ever even imagined that we could imagine. And so now that we're older and we can kind of think for ourselves and, and have these experiences and and kind of make a little bit more sense of them, it, it it's great. But as kids, we weren't we didn't have those tools. We didn't know any better. Ashley, if you had to wrap all this up and say, what was my greatest experience from all this? What would it be? Still going. As of right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, living, I try to live completely in a space of gratitude and trying to find more of my Buddhist self in that way. Mm-hmm. Like, not worried about the past, it's already gone. Not worried about the future because it's gone and um, not fearing death because nobody escapes alive, right? And so what do, why do we fear that death? That becomes us. That's the whole thing. That becomes <laughs> us. That's beautiful. I'm going to redirect briefly back to Savannah. Do you have any theories on what it is about Savannah that makes it so haunted? Like, why Savannah and not another city in the South? 
Well, so the only two cities where I've ever really experienced this is Savannah and New Orleans. And supposedly they're both portals. And I think it's something about the energy resonance of the land. Mm -hmm. When you walk in Savannah, you feel electric. Yeah. That's why people love it so much. And why I just, when you're from there too, and your like body is literally from there. Like, I don't know if this has ever been studied and it would be an amazing study, whoever out there that can do this, but study different points of ledger activity in the soil in different areas in Savannah. And I guarantee you oh. resonates at a different, like it's a different resonance in most places. Uh, but New Orleans has the exact same mm. where you feel like you're walking into it. It's literally, yes. you just jump, you jump doors, jumped like, time spaces and you're like whoa this is a different space is there anything that you would like to ask us before we wrap this up do you have any questions for us yes yeah, so i'm fascinated by tarot so i don't know if you know of dr stephen holler uh, loosely familiar uh dr holler um is a gentleman who runs the gnostic temple in los angeles and so i started going there my last few months living in la and he was the last student of carl Jung, who i'm a huge Jungian love Carl Jung. And so he, Dr. Holler is now in his nineties, but um, he's kind of like the foremost scholar of the tarot. And so I want to know more about your reading of the tarot. And if you follow a certain tradition, if you do the minor and the major arcana or tell me your process. Yeah. So I use both and actually I'm super excited for you to mention Carl Jung because I am someone who has experienced a lot of trauma at various different points of my life. And so listening to him and his teachings really is helping me to be able to process, understand, and move forward with the the things that have happened to me. But as far as tarot goes, I taught myself how to read tarot. That enabled me to not have a lot of the hangups that, that might not be the right phrasing, but you know, you do see some tarot practitioners who are very, very, very dead set on this is the this is what it means. Since I taught myself, I fall kind of somewhere in between where I enjoy looking up the actual meaning. I enjoy looking at the energy of the card itself. My actual practice falls somewhere in between where I know the core meaning of the card and sometimes it'll come up and I'm like, nope, this one's just holding space for you. This is you today, babes. Carly's very good at following her intuition while she's yeah. doing it. And so she can really tap in really well. It, it's equal parts intuition and um, meaning for me where like it's important for me to understand the origins behind the card, the symbolism in the card. But a lot of the times when I'm doing a reading, I lead with my intuition, but I like to pull in on the facts of like, this is what it actually means. This is how I see it applying to you today. Tara is the core of all of my practice, actually. I communicate with spirits who passed on with tarot. And I can't give you an exact answer of who we are communicating with, but you can just say interdimensional beings. You can say the universe, like whoever it is, the powers that be will directly tell you, hey, you need to pay attention to this thing in your life. Real life example for me this past week, I have plans upon plans. I have different projects, different irons and different fires. And my cards were very, very, very insistent that I take a break this week. And I was like, I don't know why. 
I have too much going on. I call it arguing with my cards, but I'll like I'll pull a set of cards and be like, that's rude. Do you not see the entire schedule that I've built for myself? Like I clearly I have things that I have to do and they'll come back and be like, you know what? You are overburdened. You are tired and you're going to burn out if you don't stop. And it's those moments where it's like, this is someone outside of myself. You can use like, if we want to tie it back to the ancient religions, like this is God, this is the universe, this is Osiris, this is whatever name you want to give it. It's the same energy that wants to see you succeed. Yeah, Yeah, universal source. It, It does want to see you succeed. It sees your challenges And we'll give you input on how to move forward. Tarot, to me, is its own living, breathing entity. I can get information other ways, but if I am using my deck, I understand it more clearly because the language that the deck speaks makes sense to me. So if I am using my deck to communicate, I can give you clearer, more concise answers on what whatever the issue is. I don't know. When I was Mormon, I would have said like that my tarot cards are my Book of Mormon. Like it is the thing that I turn to for answers and spiritual enlightenment. Does the Mormon religion um, sort of allow tarot or? No, (laughs) no. We tarot wasn't anything that we really like talked about. I was in my 30s. I'm trying to like calculate in my head the years I was. Yeah, I think it was in my 30s before I had my first card reading. Ashley, is there anything else you want to ask? I watched some of your YouTube. I think it's YouTube or TikTok with you doing different yogic traditions and meditation and wondering um, how you bring in sort of these yogic traditions uh, and your meditative practice into the work that you do. Um, And real quick, would you touch on your thesis for me? Because I find that fascinating. Um, a PhD of any sorts. I don't know if listeners really understand the amount of work that goes into it, but it's a lot. Yeah. Melissa should get lots of high fives. I sound way more impressive than I really am. Trust me. Yoga has been my saving grace. When I got COVID, I was sick for over a year. I lost a lot of weight. I lost all my muscle. Yoga and stretching was kind of the only thing I could do. And I wasn't even that good at it. But as I started uh, really diving into yoga and learning the benefits that it has for not only your body, but your mind and everything in between, like it changed my life. Mm-hmm. I can't even tell you how much it changed my life. But I, I started getting my muscle back without lifting weights. Imagine that. It really helped me kind of focus on how my body feels how my mind works. It it changed my life. That's all I'm going to say. But anybody who doesn't do yoga should. It helps you release everything, focus, breathe, all that stuff. Okay. So that's my take on yoga. I love it. I do it every single day. My thesis was on near-death experiences. I don't know why I'm so fascinated with them, but I interviewed so many people and, you know, The thing is, is I feel like these near-death experiences are some of the best examples of life after death that we have, what what really exists for us on the other side. And and the weird thing is, is that everybody's near-death experience is pretty much the same other than maybe they see God, maybe they see Buddha, and it all just kind of depends on your conditioning. But I feel like as we progress on into the other world or the other life, we are able to 
take the experiences that we have in this one to make the transition a little bit easier, a little bit smoother. And just collecting all these stories from people has like really opened up my eyes to the possibilities of things that could exist for us on the other side. I think it's fascinating. I think that yoga as well and meditation is a great way to sort of open up those channels to access the other side as well. I have, the, I have one more one more question. Do you mind telling us a little bit about the thesis that you're working on at Harvard? I know it involves ritual costume. Are you trying to work in or are you actively working in a connection between fashion and spirit into your thesis? Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I had to try to figure out what I was going to do with the past 20 years of my life trying to branch it into this new journey and something that made sense and something that, because a lot of people are like, you feeling okay? Did you hit your head? Like, what are you doing? And so (laughs) it felt like this project is something that hasn't been explored to my knowledge, or at least not very much academically at all. And I kind of discovered this through my work. And that's why I love styling so much was, okay, for example, there's a group of individuals that I used to work. So individuals with developmental disabilities, right? And so a lot of these, they come from all range of the spectrum of neurodivergence. And we would have clothing donated and I'd have a fashion photographer come in and we'd let them pick their outfits and we would shoot them portraits, right? Twice the mom would come and you can just see in the pictures, but the moms would come up to me and be like, my daughter hasn't smiled ever in front of a camera before. Um, like now they have this newfound appreciation for themselves. And I, I love watching somebody through what I'm calling costume is just any chosen outfit, right? You can call it costume because right, you're costuming your character for that moment. Completely can transform a person. And so I truly believe that in that transformation, we have an ability to transcend uh, the self to become whatever it is that we're searching for. And since the humans, since ancient time have always been sort of, like you mentioned, trying to return to this source or like, where do we come from? Where is this source? Why do we wear crowns, for example? I think it's because we're trying to connect our bodies back up to the heavens. So we're trying to get right. So like a cathedral is like moving upwards, all these steeples. So but why do we use certain metals? Certain metals vibrate at different frequencies. Like why is gold so valued? Because gold has an incredible electromagnetic conductivity. So maybe that actually helps our electromagnetivity during meditation and during ceremony that they knew a lot more about these things actually maybe approach these interdimensional beings or angels or God source, or whatever one might want to call it. So I have a couple of different experiments with people wearing different ritual clothings uh, and then matching it with like a control of their own outfit, putting them plus like a uniform that's chosen by someone else and the different during PET scans and transcranial stimulation to see the actual different outlay of energetic um, activity from the body by allowing the inner self to uh, be exposed on the outer self. Clothing, I think, was created because it's not just to create to protect our organs, right? We're not wearing, we don't wear different outfits, especially in ancient times. So why do we start wearing, especially in ritual, these like elaborate garments and really silly looking things, if you think about it sometimes, but also innately beautiful and somehow feel sacred in some way. So I'm trying to connect why the human feels like some of these ideas are sacred. Is it because of first 
visions or sort of hierophanies of the sacred that appeared to people that they wanted to be this shiny fabrics and elaborate wing like clothing or you know and the same thing with like tribes when they wear lots of different feathered costumes or costumes emanating their gods which would have been the animals and nature the more natural surroundings but native americans believe that through con- you know different costumes they can transcend the meat suit right they can shape shift into right. other beings so i really feel like there's uh, a lot more to the idea of ritual costume than just this like aesthetic trend of some sort and it's accessible to all humans it's not a time or a place or even a socioeconomic status you know and for like individuals who are trans uh is their like first resource to to be a different being easily you know was by the clothing that we wear and they act in that moment they transcend the the suit they've been given because their insides tell them that's something different i love how you're taking the two loves that you are very passionate about and combining them together. And I mean, we know we act different when we're dressed certain ways. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And it's got me thinking a lot about ritual clothing. And like you said, the power of choosing your own clothes and dictating your own life and owning your own authority. So thank you so much. Ashley, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And I can't wait to continue our discussion sometime in the near future. Yeah, thank you guys so much for uh, having me on your show and chatting with me. And uh, I look forward to continuing this another time. loved what you heard today, please consider leaving us a review. Death Becomes Us is an Emotional Pictures production produced by Sarah Nichols and Alex Eisenstein. Music by Aleski Chistillen.